All right, friends, show of hands. This is a quick survey. It's not scientifically based at all. But how many of you like to eat oysters or crawfish? All right. And how many of you enjoy the taste of bacon? Lowell, look around. You're not alone. Anybody here a fan of fried alligator? Yeah, I like it. It's pretty good. All right. Now, do you all know that each and every one of these foods is unclean according to the Levitical laws? Leviticus clearly sort of outlines which animals are okay to eat and clean and which animals are not okay to eat and thus unclean. For example, verses 7 and 8 of chapter 11 read this. The pig, for even though it has divided hoof and is cleft-footed, it does not chew the cud. It is unclean for you. Of their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcass you shall not touch. They are unclean for you. Okay, football fans, this is bad news. Pig skin is unclean to touch. <laughs> Pigs, all sea creatures without scales and fins, birds of prey, reptiles. Why are these animals unclean to eat? Well, in her brilliant book on Leviticus, anthropologist Mary Douglas makes the important claim about the cleanliness, about where creatures live. You see, most of the unclean animals occupy a liminal space, a space between things, which makes them unclean. So pigs, they live on the edge of civilization, as do camels, so they're unclean, don't eat them. Lobsters walk in the water. They don't have fins or scales, which is weird, so don't eat them. An ostrich is a bird but it doesn't fly, and that's weird, so don't eat the ostrich. <laughs> and on it goes. Now a fish, it lives in the water, it acts like something that lives in the water, and so it's ritually clean, it's okay to eat. The goat lives on the land, eats from the land, and acts like a land animal, so it's okay to eat, it is clean. Now a clam lives in both the water and the sand, so it's unclean. The danger with coming in contact with these unclean foods, according to the Levitical Holiness Code, is that they make you unclean. And since our holy God dwelled in the midst of the people, specifically in the tabernacle, if you became unclean or impure, and then you got close to the temple, the fear was that God would leave. Now, as Christians, we do believe that God left the temple. When Jesus dies on the cross, the temple curtain is torn in two, and God does continue to dwell among his people, but now among all people all over the world. In our reading from Acts today, this claim that salvation is available to all is revealed to Peter. Now, you all know Peter was a good guy, but he certainly struggled sometimes in doing the right thing. And the Gospels and the Acts of the Apostles are full of stories about Peter and all his mistakes. But today we hear a powerful vision of Peter's, informing him that all of those unclean foods were now okay to eat. And that the Gentiles, those not of Jewish background, can and should be saved through faith in Christ. In the book of Revelation, we hear that Jesus proclaimed, see, I am making all things new. 
Our understanding about God is transformed, made new in the resurrection. So let me be clear. It's not that Jesus overturns the laws regarding cleanliness of certain foods, but in the death and resurrection of Christ, by making all things new, God is transforming our understanding of where God abides and how we are able to be in right relationship with God and with creation. It's not that magically overnight all foods have become clean, but that our understanding about God has been made new. In Christ, not only can we enjoy shrimp and bacon cheeseburgers, thanks be to God, but much more importantly, no one is separated from God because of their nationality, ethnicity, gender, or economic status. Now, in addition to Mary Douglas's really great anthropological reading of Leviticus and her understanding of dietary kosher law, I want to offer one other suggestion. Has anybody ever here ever had bad clams? Nobody has. Oh, yes. What happens if you eat bad clams? You're not well. All right. Some of you will remember, particularly those of you who are older, that there, we used to live in fear of eating pork that wasn't fully cooked um, or other exotic meats like bear. I don't know why. People eat bear meat. It happens. If you eat these kinds of food that are undercooked, it can lead to something called trichinolosis. I grew up hearing it called trichinosis, and I think both are correct. But I found a description of this affliction online. I'm going to read it to you. You might want to cover your ears. The signs, symptoms, severity, and duration of trichinolosis vary. Nausea, diarrhea, vomiting, fatigue, fever, and abdominal comfort are often the first symptoms. Headache, fevers, chills, cough, swelling of the face and eyes, aching joints, and muscle pains. Itchy skin, diarrhea, and constipation may follow the first symptoms. And it only gets worse from there. <laughs> so let me suggest there were some good and practical reasons to follow these Levitical dietary laws. You know, it seems that whenever Justin eats fish, He's fine, but whenever he eats other things from the sea, they make him very sick. Now, in creation, God calls all of creation good. Remember that story way back in Genesis chapter 1. All fleshy, earthly, living things, just as they are, they are good. And with our limited human understanding and experience, even though those things were good, our eating of some of them, in certain ways, led to illness and death. It takes time and knowledge to gain wisdom. But Judaism and theologically good Christianity understand that our bodies are sacred things, created by God of both flesh and spirit, and we deny either at our own peril, misunderstanding. Our bodies are a temple for the Holy Spirit. We are to treat them as such. We should not eat things that make us unwell. There's an argument here to be made that we should change our whole American diet, right? And it's not just our bodies that are here in this place today, but if all of life is sacred, created by God to be good, then Jews, Gentiles, Greeks, women, men, non-binary gendered people, Americans, Palestinians, Russians, those from Asia, and on and on and on. When Jesus becomes one of us who lives in these sacred bodies, gives his new command, just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. He means that we should love the whole person, body, mind, and soul. 
It means we are to love our neighbor, to love God, to love ourselves, to love our enemy, to love our spouse, to love those we see at the grocery store, to love everybody. Now, as it pertained to the dietary laws found in Leviticus, the Holy Spirit was doing a new thing here in Acts with Peter, but in order for Peter to really understand, he needed a vision, one so powerful that it could overturn one of his strongest convictions. According to New Testament scholar Brian Peterson, the church's spirit-led experience has brought new insight regarding things like slavery, racial inequality, justice, women's ordination, and LGBTQ dignity. Some of that may look obvious in history's rearview mirror, still encountering the spirit who is alive and pushing the church in a new and astonishing directions, well, that can be frightening. However, the spirit is not random or incoherent. The spirit is always pushing the church into a greater place for God's love for all people of the world. I want to make a case that the Holy Spirit is doing a new thing even now, even among us. But in order for us to understand, we too need a vision. Some of our strongest convictions might be overturned. But only if we allow ourselves to see and to experience that vision, only if we're open to the Holy Spirit working in and through us. Now, we're probably unlikely to have a threefold vision like Peter does, but we are always encountering the holy if only we have the eyes to see it. We encounter God the Holy Spirit through people that we meet, through experiences and situations that challenge our preconceived notions of other people, of what is clean and what is unclean, and through the ministry that we are called to share in together. My encouragement to you this week is to pray for God the Holy Spirit to give you the sight and insight to see what God is doing and what God wants to accomplish in the world today. What God has called clean, you must not call profane. Let's pray. Gracious and holy God, we thank you for the gift, your ongoing gift, of your Holy Spirit that continues to Help us to understand your revelation to us. We thank you for your holy word, which teaches us how we are to live and right relationship with you and in the world. Open our hearts. Let us be challenged to see the new things that you are doing and help us to join you in them. In Christ's name, amen. amen.